All right, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to SaberSim's DFS Office Hours. It is Thursday, July 28th of 2022. I hope you all enjoyed uh, yesterday's special stream we did with Eric uh, about the work we have been doing on our pitch count model, uh, pitcher leash model, how long pitchers are likely to stay in the game uh, for a given sim. Uh, I think we had a really interesting conversation about it yesterday. If you missed it, uh, it is now up on our YouTube channel here uh, as a part of the rest of our baseball DFS uh, content here, here at the end, how we made the best MLB Sims even better. Um, so go check that out. If you missed it, a really interesting conversation. We got really like deep into this particular part of the baseball Sims, but also, you know, there's been a lot of questions recently here about, you know, how our baseball simulations work, how we actually arrive, you know, at a simulation and then a projection or, or uh, wh whatever from there. Um, you know, there was there was uh, some good conversation there. So definitely go check that out. Again, I think um, it's, it's you know, in some ways not the flashiest thing, uh, but a really important thing and a thing that Eric was able to do really, really well building this model uh, to model um, pitch counts there. And you can kind of even see in the thumbnail here, uh, probably looks pretty small on your screen here, but uh, you can see kind of the before and after there in the thumbnail uh, of basically what our distributions look like compared to actuals before and after, uh, which is why I put it up on there um, to spotlight that. So, uh, definitely go check that out. But, uh, anyway, um, let's go ahead and dive into it here. First of all, if you are watching or listening along for the first time, welcome. And thank you for joining. My name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim and on office hours. I, uh, I answer questions from the SaberSim community about how to use our tools to build better lineups. So if you have questions for me, fire away at me, YouTube chat, if you're watching live, uh, Office Hours channel in Slack, whether you're watching live or catching the recording of this is a great way to ask questions. Uh, and uh, you can always email us as well, support at sabersim.com. So we are going to do a little bit of catch up today. Uh, the first three or four questions here will be uh, actually from yesterday. We focused on the baseball pitch count stuff yesterday. So there were a couple other questions that had come in that were about other stuff. So we'll get there first. And then we'll start getting caught up here. But uh, we have uh, one of those special late July dog days of summer Dodgers at Coors Field slates here tonight. 7.1 run total for the Dodgers here on Sabersim. I think it's almost getting to like seven and a half runs at Vegas. So uh, one of those fun slates. We'll see how it all shakes out here tonight. Um, do we have, I'm curious, kind of, I know the... Um, the Blue Jays and looks like the Yankees are also popular here, but not really even another team uh, within, you know, bar barely two teams within two runs of the Dodgers right now. So uh, it's it's going to be a fun slate. We'll see how everything shakes out. I'm sure we'll start building some lineups here as we get into uh, the show a little bit and see how things are looking. But uh, anyway, let's let's get into it here. Let's get started. So I wanted to back up here and actually get started. Uh, this is a really good question. Um, and this is from uh, Cole here um, about correlation in baseball, stacking specifically. Uh, and he said, if stacking in MLB is higher EV, not arguing that point, why do 0010 builds and 001 builds both give me predominantly unstacked lineups? Uh, shouldn't the correlation from the Sims cause large stacks, five threes and five twos, to appear naturally, or does setting the correlation slider to zero turn off correlations in the Sims as well? Yeah, so this is a really, really good question. And actually, the answer to this question is is different, uh, whether you're talking about the 0010 and 001 or 000 build. So let's start talking about, um, let's do 0010 first and kind of talk about like what we're actually seeing here 
when you run this build, right? So uh, for simplicity here, I'm just going to run 100 lineups. So this doesn't take too long. But what this build basically does, right? This is going to this is going to turn off the effects of correlation, right? This is going to ignore ownership. And at sim precision, very high 10, right? We're basically looking at a single simulation for every game on the slate, right? So, you know, we, we may have 5,000, 10,000 something simulations for every game on the slate. And what we're doing when we build lineups at 0, 0, 10 is we're picking just one and building the optimal lineup for that. It's essentially simulating the slate at one time and building the highest scoring lineup you could have made in that given single slate simulation, right? For a, basically what you're getting is the optimal, right? You are getting, if that was the actual outcome of the slate, what is the highest scoring lineup you could get, right? So to get a 5-3 stack, for example, it needs to be not only a high upside lineup or a very good lineup or a lineup that's that has a very high top one percent outcome it needs to be truly the highest scoring lineup possible for that given sim and given the variance of baseball that is relatively unlikely we look at this lineup here right this is a dodgers three uh yankees two stack right uh a lineup where probably the dodgers generally succeeded and the Yankees probably kind of generally succeeded, right? Now, this is a 3-2 stack. For this lineup to have become a 5-3 stack, right? Every single other player in this lineup, it needs to it, it needs to be that a Dodger outscored Bryson Stott here at shortstop. Or a Yankee or a Dodger scored outscored every other player at every other lineup position, right? And it's just unlikely. It can happen sometimes, right? Let's see if we happen to get one here. So our biggest stack is like a... I guess a 4-2-2 is a stack that you might want to play. So this lineup here, uh, four Rockies, two Cubs, two Giants, right? A lineup that like maybe could could actually have could end up in your pool here uh, is is actually literally the highest scoring possible lineup that could have been made for this sim. And it just so happens that it kind of fell into a 4-2-2, right? But the bigger the slate, the more players that are in your pool, uh, the the higher your the the less likely really it is that in a given optimal, you're going to just fall into a 5-3 or a 5-2 stack with no additional effects of correlation added in. Now, the natural question I think that kind of comes out of that is, well, wait, Jordan, okay, if, if the single game sims never have stacks, why are we stacking in the first place? And the answer to that question is we don't literally need the optimal. We don't need the nuts to win virtually any MOB DFS contest. In fact, it is obscenely difficult to win a, a DFS, a MLB DFS GPP with literally the highest scoring lineup possible. Because what you're doing is basically trying to get all of these individual batters correct independently from one another. You're basically, I mean, a lineup that is that is essentially uncorrelated, like this one, for example. Or wait, let's see. Can I find a like a no stack lineup? There's one. To get a lineup like this, right, and get this right. I mean, you're basically playing a, what, an eight-leg parlay of hoping all these guys score 20 fantasy points independent from one another. When we build correlated lineups, we're basically accepting the fact that we probably don't need the true nuts optimal, and instead that we can kind of make correlated bets and say, you know what, I know that maybe it's not very likely that five Astros are the five highest scoring players I could put in this possible lineup in those positions. But because when the Astros do well, they tend to do well as a team. They all get more at bats. Uh, they get, you know, uh, simultaneous run scoring opportunities like grand slam where you get uh, that 
the guys getting on base, the runs and the the home run guy, right? Like you're, you're basically saying, I'm going to, I'm going to accept the fact that it's, I'm probably not going to land on the the stone nuts optimal. And instead I'm going to build a lineup that's more likely to succeed together, right? That's what you are doing when you correlate. Um, so that is essentially why zero, zero, 10, you're not going to see very many stacks. Now, as the size of the slate gets smaller, if you ran 0-0-10s on a two-game slate, you might see some because there's less players in the player pool. It's more likely that the actual stone optimal lineup that you can build might be a 5-3 or it might be a 5-2, right? But for larger slates, it's just unlikely. And that doesn't necessarily mean, I think it is a very good point to internalize that to beat most GPP contests, you probably, well, to beat most MLB classic slate GPP contests, you probably don't need the stone optimal and developing an understanding of for the contest and the sport I'm playing, how close to the optimal do I need to get? Will building that sense of like intuition there will help you become a better DFS player because there is a spectrum there. In MMA, for example, especially if you're playing larger field contests, you often do need the stone optimal, or at least strategically, you need to think that you do because the winning lineup in a large field GPP for MMA is generally very close to the optimal. Um, or the, the the winning lineup is generally in like the top 10 optimals. Um, I, I think it would be, I, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a way to calculate the actual mathematical odds, um, but I would be, I would be pretty surprised if anybody has like ever won a GPP of, I would say, 100,000 MLB lineups or less on a at least a maybe a four game slate or more with the stone optimal, unless maybe the optimal was just very chalky. Um, it's just not going to happen very often. So, but let's talk about the other side of the coin here. It's it's actually, now that we've talked about it, it's pretty similar here. But wh- now why when you're running a 0 build, right? or a 001 build, right? Both very similar. Why are you also not getting any stacks, right? Let's run another one down here. So I think the example is actually better. I think it's a clearer example here if you if you think about this from a 000 build than a 001 build. So that's what I'm gonna do here. Um, why, why will we not get any stacks here, right? Well, in this case, we are going to use the exact opt, we are going to use the exact average projections for every lineup. Right. It's it's actually kind of it's it's actually kind of similar in that imagine a zero 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 build, right? Is actually in some ways has some similarity to a zero zero ten build if the actual fantasy point scored in the single simulation was just the exact average, right? If every player scored their exact precise mathematical average in the single sim, that's what you would get out of a zero 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 build, right? And if we run this again. It is unlikely. Now, on a slate like tonight, it actually might be a little bit different. But on the average slate, it is unlikely that the best line, the best average projected lineup that you can build includes five players from the same team. That doesn't happen very often. Now, if you have, again, you have a slate like tonight here where there is one team with a 7.0 run total and the next best team with a 5.2 run total, uh, we might get that. Right, we have a five-two here because literally five Dodgers is the highest average projected lineup you can build, and in fact, two uh, two Angels also along with that. Right, again, five Dodgers here, <laughs> five Dodgers. Right, because the Dodgers are projected so well. But on the on average in the general slate, that's not what's going to happen. Right, <clears throat> so. Ultimately, correlation is a tool that helps us build lineups that are more likely to score. I guess a, actually a better way of putting it, a correlated lineup basically makes us ha- have a lineup that when parts of the lineup succeeds, it it 
is likely that other parts succeed along with it, right? So you're building a lineup that makes less independent, uncorrelated bets. But in a sport like baseball, it is not very often where the actual highest scoring possible lineup you could have built is going to be a perfect stacked, nor is the highest average expectation lineup going to be a stacked lineup. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, neither of those outcomes are what you're actually looking for to do in your GPPs. You don't want the highest scoring line, average lineup. You don't want that lineup with the highest average possible score because a lineup scoring its average doesn't win you anything, right? If you play this lineup and it scores 116.8, it's exact average and you won't win anything, right? Because that's not a, that's not a high upside score. And similarly, you don't need a lineup to score 280 points to win a GPP, right? Or 260 points or whatever, like the stone optimal is on a given slate. You need the highest lineup in your contest. So good, good, good question to get us started there. Um, okay, cool. Let's keep it going here. Uh, a couple questions. Again, we're still just getting caught up from these questions that came in yesterday here. So um, for those of you posting questions today, we'll get to you shortly here. This one was from Jeremy. Uh, when building for a showdown, when lineups are already out, does it make sense to build as close to lock as possible so ownership is more accurate, which could then affect the outcomes of your lineups? Um, I guess in theory, I would say in practice, once confirmed starting lineups are out for both teams for a baseball showdown, I don't think it's likely that ownership projections are going to continue to dramatically change. The only thing I could see happening is a if a player got scratched or if a starting lineup then changed, it would be likely that ownership projections could then change. But I think if you're playing, you know, for example, the Cleveland-Boston showdown tonight here, uh, once both teams have a confirmed starting lineup and they have a green check mark in the app indicating that we've run a sim with those confirmed starting lineups, uh, I think you can pretty much treat both the projections and the ownership projections as final uh, pending any other news. I, I don't think you really... I, I think, you know, in theory, I guess, if you had a game where both teams had their starting lineup come out hours before the game started, uh, maybe ownership could shift a little bit, but um, I just don't think it's it's going to happen that much. Once, once you have those final confirmed starting lineup sims, I think you can basically treat it as final and start building your lineups. So, um, uh, and then uh, another question from Jeremy here. Um, and said, if you are playing baseball cash games, how would you recommend using Sabersim to produce a cash lineup? So uh, I have to say this, first of all, I, I would not highly recommend baseball cash games to be a part of your contest portfolio. Um, I think cash games, there, there's really kind of two problems, particularly, there's two problems in cash games in general that that apply here, especially in baseball. One is that it's it's too easy to build a competitive cash lineup, especially in, in 2022 with the tools that are out there now. And I'll show you why that is true in a minute. Um, and second, there's just not really a lot of recreational money in cash games, right? It's not an exciting sport for the casual player or not an exciting contest type. So you end up with a lot of relatively sharp money that you're competing against. And it's just hard. You, I think like, you know, maybe one to 2% edges are still out there. Um, maybe a little bit more than that. If you have access to like the under $3 contests, uh, I just don't think it's the best way to build a bankroll. So I would recommend in general sticking to GPPs and focusing on our uh, DFS profit plan video here in terms of deciding what GPPs to play. But let's say you're dead set on playing cash games. How do you use Saversim to build a cash game lineup? Well, assuming we're mostly talking about double ups, 50-50s, head-to-heads here, right? Kind of the traditional cash games there. What you are basically trying to do is build a lineup that has the highest likelihood of having a 
the highest average score possible, right? The lineup that is likely to score the most points on average. You are not rewarded for upside in those contests. You get paid out the same as if you score uh, in the uh, first place or in, you know, in the case of a hundred man, 50, 50, 49th place, right? So you want a lineup that has the, basically the highest average expectation as possible uh, to do that. You basically are going to optimize for average projections. And this is why it's it's too easy, basically, uh, to play cash, making the field much, much sharper, right? Anybody with a competitive set of projections and a basic optimizer that can do this uh, can field a pretty competitive cash game lineup. So if you build on cash settings, right, we will build the top 40 optimal lineups based on the projections for that particular slate. And I would say you're probably going to be competitive playing on any given night, any of the top five to 10 optimal lineups, or maybe even more. Um, there might be some micro edges that you can exploit from there, uh, you know, based on looking at a couple things like uh, ownership, right? Um, sometimes, you know, given, given the choice between playing two similarly projected lineups, um, you can get a little bit of an additional like game theory edge by playing a lineup that's likely to be a little bit higher owned. Um, but you can see even all these lineups at the top here um, are are all going to be pretty similarly owned as well. So, and you can kind of typically tell the cash game core very quickly, right? Um, you know, cash game core, Otani, Alex Wood, uh, probably like your your pick of five Dodgers, but probably generally Will Smith, Muncie, Trey Turner, Betts, and Bellinger. Uh, and then it looks like basically your, your pivot options here are like, it looks like Schwarber's actually pretty core as well. So your pivot options are what, maybe basically at Jared Walsh looks pretty core as well, but maybe maybe pivots at like first base or second base, right? And that this is a, at at the at the highest level of cash games. This is kind of what the game has devolved into as well. Is what what one v one, two v two, or three v three against the main cash core? Did you choose? Um, it looks like uh, actually Jamison Taylor is is okay today as well um, in cash. So you kind of have like three pitchers to choose from. Uh, you're playing five Dodgers probably every single time, and then basically. It looks like basically you have first base, second base, and one outfield spot to maybe make some pivots from. So, and when you're trying to beat, you know, 10% rake in these contests, you can kind of quickly see why it gets difficult here, I think, to, to be successful in, this con in these kinds of contests long-term. Now, one exception to that, football is such a massive DFS sport. Like, I mean, it is an order of magnitude larger than probably even NBA, which is the, the next biggest DFS sport. Uh, there is so much casual money that flushes into the DFS ecosystem in the first six weeks, even of football season, that I do think cash games uh, can be um, pretty lucrative for NFL in the first uh week of the season. Um, and we can talk a little bit about NFL cash games if if we want to here, if there's questions, if there's people that are interested about it as we get a little bit closer. Again, I mean, the fundamental strategy still is basically um, this. Uh, I would say for football, the main other things that I look at is the ownership, right? You know, if there's a player that, if Sabersim is like maybe like two points higher on average than a particular player and that player's popping up in cash builds, but maybe he's projected to be like, 3% owned, I might just sacrifice a couple points and play the player that's going to be a lot chalkier. Um, just because again, I don't need to shoot for that low owned upside outcome. Uh, the other thing there too, is it sometimes, especially as the season goes on and injuries pile up a little bit, it can be useful to look at late swap opportunities, right? Like if let's say you have the cash game optimal at lock, but Dalvin cook is playing in the afternoon games and he's questionable. 
Alexander Madison would absolutely be a cash game play if Cook proceeded then to get ruled out. So sometimes it makes sense to kind of see what that optimal would look like and potentially play um, a lineup banking on a on a player getting ruled out, depending on you know a couple other variables. So I think football cash games are probably the only real logical opportunity to play that contest type here now. Um, but that is how you would do it if if you do want to if you do want to check out some cash games. Um, so let's keep it moving here. Um, and then, okay, uh, good question from Neil here. Uh, football strategy here. And I uh, said, I went back and watched the NFL showdown video from last year with you, Andy, and Max. Excellent info. Uh, looks like the biggest recommendation to avoid dupes is to lower max salary, which makes a lot of sense. I've read some other articles that say product ownership is the best predictor of duplication. Uh, are there any plans to add product ownership this year? If not, does anyone have a good way to manually work this out in Excel? I'm kind of a rookie with Excel. Yeah, so I'll say a couple things on this point. So first of all... Um, I, I do still agree that these are good ways to avoid duplication or to lower your chances of being duplicated, right? Traditional optimizers and people building by hand typically aren't going to really want to leave a lot of salary on the table. Um, even, you know, three, four, 500 salary. Uh, typically, you end up with a lineup that has just as much upside, but will be much less likely to be duplicated. Um, I think that's a good approach. I, I think product, I think ownership product can be useful as well. Let's see what's going on here. Ownership product can be useful as well. The one thing that you need to be aware of, right? The ownership product is, it's not a mystery where that comes from, right? It's its basically just like a basic uh, probability equation. And it what is implied by that, by multiplying the ownership products together, uh, is that the, the a player playing one player in their lineup is completely uncorrelated to a player playing another player in their lineup, right? That those are independent variables. Uh, and that's not that's not really true for football, right? In other words, uh, somebody playing Tom Brady in their lineup and playing Mike Evans in their lineup for a showdown that's not in those are not independent, right? Playing playing either of those players makes it more likely that that player is likely to play the other player as well because the average the average DFS player is aware of correlation, right? At least at some level. So if you multiply Brady's ownership, right? Per, his ownership percentage at times Mike Evans ownership percentage and say, okay, the likelihood of Brady and Evans being in the same lineup together is this, that's, that's not actually true, right? Because it's, it's probably actually higher than that because those two players are, are more likely to be played together. Uh, that said two things. One, I still think it's a decent approximation. I think it will at least put you in the ballpark of starting to assess duplication probability. Um, and then two, specifically to your question, we are actually planning on doing some work to, incorporate duplication into SaberSim, or at least give people some better tools at calculating some of these things themselves. Uh, I don't actually know if it's going to end up being ownership product that we choose to go with for some of these reasons. Um, but it is very, very much on our roadmap of something that we want to incorporate because at the moment it is kind of a hole for a lot of different contests, right? I talk a lot about showdowns, MMA, um, occasionally sports like tennis, golf, uh, where we have to think about duplication a little bit. Um, because we have to think about it, it it's kind of a, a hole in the Sabersim app, right? So it is it is definitely something we want to add in the future. Um, I will put you on the right track for Excel, uh, for doing this in Excel. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do a full Excel tutorial here uh, because we have to, we have a lot of questions to get through. Um, but what I would recommend doing here 
is if you in a build, right? So you'll have all of these different lineups, right? Um, oh, probably shouldn't have done that. So we can still see these lineups. So we have 500 lineups, right? Um, this is kind of how I've done this in the past. So you have maybe 500, this could be 1500, however many lineups you want it to be, right? You can download this lineups file and then download your um, projections file, right? And then what we'll do here is let me open these up in Excel. Okay. Okay. So we have, this is our lineups file. This is what it looks like in Excel, right? So it's just all of the individual lineup lineup codes here. Uh, and then if we open the um, projections file, typically, so the way I've done this in the past is I'll have some other separate sheet here, and this is the projections file, right? So this is all the information that you can get from the app just in a downloadable CSV, right? What you essentially need to do is these are all the different player IDs, right? These are the IDs right here. So you need to essentially for each player in any given lineup, look up the player ID here and pull in the ownership projection that they have here. And then it, then you could start calculating an ownership product from there. Um, a couple tools that you can use to do that. Um, and again, I'm going to stop right here because I'm not, I don't want to do a full um, Excel tutorial, uh, but you can use a VLOOKUP, right? And I would just go online. There's plenty of resources that will teach you what these do um, in in a little bit more detail. And, and there's probably a lot of very helpful tutorials out there, but you can do a VLOOKUP, which will do exactly that. Look up the uh, DFS ID and try to find information in a further down cell. Um, and actually, if you that's probably the easiest way, uh, but I think the right way is to use a combination of the index and match functions in Excel. Um, that's a little bit trickier because you're you're doing a, a nested formula in another one. Um, at least when you're first getting started out with Excel, it can be a little bit trickier to do, so it might be easier to do VLOOKUPs to begin with, but uh, you'll find longer term down the road uh, that you probably will like those index matches more than the VLOOKUPs. So... Um, that should, that should get you started. And again, there's like people that are way better at Excel that will teach you in way better terms, uh, than I will anyway, how to use it, um, for this kind of stuff. Um, but, and I, there's probably even a better option. I know there's now there's, there's more modern lookup formulas as well that I probably don't even know about. So, um, but and again, I think ownership product can be a pretty good baseline. Uh, I've used it a lot. Um, I would just be just be careful. Um, it 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 implies it it uh, it implies that like ownership projections are are independent probabilities and and they they really aren't. So, um, but like one other thing before we move along, like another example is you could pick like a really low salary build, right? Like a really low salary build where maybe your your lineup is um, you know leaves. 4,000 salary on the table, um, but you're picking like the chalkiest low salary players possible. Like, so if we go back to this opening night from last year, right? Like Giovanni Bernard was clearly the chalky value play, 37.1%, right? Well, in reality, people play Giovanni Bernard to get access to these higher salary constructions, right? He is a value, right? His, his combination to be paired with like another low salary player is actually probably lower 
than his salary imply or than than the than the product of those two imply right so like another okay so greg greg zerline's another good example 13.8 right the combination of these two players is actually probably lower than their ownership product together because they kind of accomplish the same thing in a given lineup right they are both value plays right so you don't there aren't going to be a lot of lineups that need them um together so anyway just another thing to think about but Neil says that makes a lot of sense about product ownership. Hadn't considered the correlation factor. Appreciate the response. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Guy Will Gamble is a, a fellow index matcher. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. I haven't, I still have some old V lookups in some of my spreadsheets that I do for like research builds and stuff. And it's like kind of been a, a long to do for me to convert everything over um, to those. But anyway, I always, I always get confused. I have to, every single time I have to pull up the same old article to remind myself how to actually do it correctly. Um, one thing, actually, I'll just give you guys like a quick tip um, and maybe especially for you, for you, Neil, uh, it, as you start writing bigger Excel formulas, especially if you start doing something like index match, one thing that has helped me a ton is to write your formulas inside out. So basically like you'll find that on Excel, there'll be like a big formula that'll be the biggest one. And then there might be a littler one inside that and a littler one inside that. Get figure out what the intern, the, the smallest, most internal formula is first and write that and make sure that you, that produces a, a result with no error. And then figure out what the next one that layers on top of that is and make sure that that writes without an error and then do the final one. Um, if you write Excel formulas, like you write words, like left to right, like in order, you're going to have a headache because that's not how Excel is processing that information. And it's hard to figure out sometimes where the issue is if you're getting an error. Um, so I, I definitely recommend inside out when you're thinking about your, your Excel formulas, but, um, and then there's probably people here listening that like know R or Python or, or all kinds of other different programming languages that are like laughing at us Excel nerds here, but, uh, I am an Excel maximalist for for now at least um okay uh mark had asked um how many minimum uniques is uh generally recommended for 20 and 150 max contests uh i would say one i don't use min uniques that much to be honest um actually like for the purposes of actually going through and building my my gpp lineups that i actually like play i don't think i've ever actually built on a higher setting than one right um, what the minimum uniques does is it puts a restriction on the builder that forces each lineup in the pool look a certain degree different from any other lineup in the pool, right? Um, so, you know, let's say if you, let's say you build 500 lineups and lineup one has a set of eight players in it. The second best lineup in the pool is one player removed from the first best lineup, right? If you set min uniques to two, you would say, scratch that lineup. I don't want to play that. Give me a lineup that is more diversified. Right. And diversification is a good thing. The reason I don't like to use min uniques is because I think SaberSim already has a better way to get more diversification. And that's the sim precision slider. Right. Instead of creating a builder rule, instead of putting a restriction on the lineup builder, we can just look at smaller buckets of simulations per lineup, which will increase the diversity of our lineups naturally and also increase our upside along the way. Right, because in this case we are diversifying by looking at real outcomes, real possible ranges of outcomes of players. This is a lineup optimizer restriction. Um, it is mostly here, to be completely honest, because people 
demanded it. Um, it is a very common lineup optimizer feature. I think every DFS optimizer on the market has this. Uh, and at the time we added it, I think as far as I'm aware, we were the only one that did not. Uh, and it's something that people wanted, but I don't use it. And I, I don't really, I've never really found a good opportunity to, to recommend it. I would say that maybe the only possible exception is if you are playing a sport where your sim precision is by default already at 10, right? Like maybe MMA is a good example. And you are building your lineups, right? And you're playing something large field, right? And the, the default sim precision is already at 10. And when you when you build your lineups, you find that, hey, these are all kind of close together. These lineups all look pretty similar. Well, you can't increase your sim precision past 10. So maybe at that point, it would make sense to increase it. But I would take small, I would, incre I would increment slowly. So I would start, I would run one at two. And then if you still aren't happy, run one at three. Um, I would say I, I probably wouldn't increase it beyond three for virtually any sport. So cool. All right. Um, we'll keep it going here. I see some questions coming in in YouTube chat as well, guys, just be patient with me. We're getting caught up here. Um, in uh, on the, the messages that came in in Slack first, and then we'll hop over to YouTube chat. Uh, this was from uh, Jesse. He said, uh, back during NBA season, you suggested one way to add value is looking at the ownership projections. Do you still feel that's the case? Or are they fairly dialed in now for the various sports? Honestly, I think they're pretty well dialed in. Uh, we've kind of quietly spent a lot of time uh, over the past year improving our ownership projections for pretty much every sport. Um, I find myself much, much more like confident about ownership projections than I was this time last year. Uh, I think I, I, I would be the first to admit that it was a weakness of, of our, of our game uh, a year ago. I think they've come a long, long way. So um, I think there's still, you know, one thing because of the way we calculate ownership, right? It's a, it's an algorithm, right? It's a computer-based model. It is never going to pick up on narratives and like human driven steam at least in its current version, right? So if there is a narrative or if there's a reason to believe that a player is going to be far chalkier than they are uh, or less, then it, we're not going to pick up on that. And that varies a little bit sport to sport, right? Like um, golf is a very narrative-driven sport. People get people fall in love with recent form. People fall in love with the, like, he's playing his home course narratives, um, all, all that kind of stuff. And uh, our golf ownership projections have gotten a lot better as well. Um, I think they're they're pretty well dialed in, but they're going to miss certain things. And they're going to miss, like, steam, right? They're going to miss the, the effect of content, right? Um, let's see if I can find an example here. Um, Cam Davis actually is a pretty good example for this week, where, like, his odds didn't really indicate a chalky play at his price, but he was very much talked up in golf content on other sites and, and shows all week, right? Um, and his ownership projection came in a lot higher than expected, right? Like, I think he's like 15%. Um, we won't pick up well on that kind of stuff. Um, so another example, there's been a couple, there's a couple young guys uh, that, you know, people, one thing, you know, Max Steinberg has talked about a lot in, uh, like when he's come on and done golf shows in the past is uh, the, the youth bias in, in golf DFS. People love the like young up and comers. Um, they always end up chalkier than expected. So a couple names, Davis Riley, um, Ju Young Kim and uh, Chris Goddard up 
three kind of just young popular golfers that I think people are really just rooting for because they're, they, you know, have a lot of potential. Um, I think they all came in higher owned than expected. I think, you know, all these guys, if I'm, I, if I'm not mistaken, are all a little bit chalkier than our ownership projections would have projected, but a sport like baseball, um, basketball, football, I think those, those, like those kinds of narratives play a little bit less of an impact, right? Sometimes you have something like that, but, um, you know, not too often, maybe sometimes like if there's a guy chasing a record or something like that, you can see that sometimes that guy gets a little chalkier than expected, but no, short, short, short answer. Our ownership projections have come a really long way. And I would say uh, if a year ago I was saying, hey, one of the best ways to add value is studying the ownership projections. I I don't think, I think you still can. I think it's still worth taking a quick look at them and making sure that you agree. Um, but I think they, I think they're much, much better by default. So very, very proud of the uh, the models team for all the hard work they did uh, on, on those ownership projections. So uh, Nipsey said um uh hey jordan can you do a previous mlb slate and review your process as it pertains to single entry and three max tournaments thanks uh yeah i mean to be honest i like for baseball in particular i don't i, I would say i don't really actually almost for all sports i don't really like in my head group single entries and 150 maxes in a very different way and like do a different strategy for both i i have a contest portfolio of a bunch of different contests and I'll ultimately just build a ton of unique lineups and kind of fill them randomly into all my different contests. Um, so I don't know if it's super helpful for me to go back to a past slate and talk about like what I did, but I can tell you, you know, maybe you're looking at tonight's slate. What, what could you possibly do? Like, how would I recommend you think about your single entries, right? How would you, how would I recommend going about it? Well, the first thing I would do, let's say you're just playing, you know, a couple, let's say you're playing a handful of different single entry contests, right? Maybe you need three lineups and they're all about 5,000 entrants, something like that, 3,000 entrants on DraftKings. Well, the very first thing I would do is make sure that you select the contest sliders that are optimized for that contest, right? That's going to make sure that your lineups are built the right way with the right strategies you need to be successful in a contest of this type. And I typically like to build, you know, I might say, you know, show me the first 10, right? Um, and I don't know even know if I need, well, yeah, we'll do 500 lineups. We'll leave 500 lineups in there, right? And I'm going to leave the rest of this alone. I'm going to use default projections, default settings for everything else, right? And this is going to give you a pool of 500 or so lineups that are that are optimized, that are well-built for this kind of contest, right? And you can go through, we're going to sort them by the top, top lineups at the top, right? But what I would recommend doing is going through and seeing, you know, is there anything that you can do to add a little bit of value here? Um, maybe by, you know, making a stand on a popular team or a popular player or construction, uh, maybe making sure that your lineups are the right uh, stack sizes, right? The stack sizes that you particularly want to want to attack. Um, I'll show you kind of how I look at this. There, again, there aren't a lot of slates where I'm just playing a handful of lineups, but when it happens, there's kind of a consistent, uh, I have a consistent, I would say, pattern to the way that I like to tackle the slate, right? So the one thing, basically what I like to do is when I'm building these lineups, I like to, for single entry, I like to make sure that I'm basically taking a stand somewhere, right? You don't need to get super off the, uh, off the map to, to be successful in single entry, but, uh, a lot of, I would say your, your baseball DFS lineups, especially for single entry are kind of all constructed the same way, right? You have your pitchers and then you're generally going to have your big primary stack. And then you have your kind of supporting pieces, whether that's a minor stack or one-offs or whatever. And I like to make sure I'm just getting different in, in one or two of those different ways, right? Um, depending on the slate. So, you know, tonight, 
for example. And you can use this here to kind of study and figure out what the slate looks like, right? So, you know, I think by far the most common, uh, so Otani is going to be very, very popular tonight, especially in single entry. And then he's going to be paired basically with Wood, Taylon, uh, or Zach Wheeler in most lineups, right? I think that's a fair assessment with the ownership projections here. And then the Dodgers are just going to be super chalky, right? Like just ab absurdly chalky with maybe, maybe, uh, Blue Jays, Yankees, Rockies kind of filling in the gaps there, but it's like basically Rockies or sorry, Dodgers super chalk on the hitting side, right? So I might kind of just start testing this build and seeing again, let's say I'm only just playing three lineups, right? I might kind of just start testing this build and seeing, you know, how flexible is this pool to take stands in certain directions, right? Like what do I have to do? Like what do, what do I sacrifice by playing no Otani, right? I jump and all of a sudden my lineups are the 105th, 116th, and 119th best lineups in my pool, right? That's it's not too bad. I mean, we built 500. We're talking about a 3,000 person contest. Um, maybe those those guys are a little bit, or maybe Otani's a little bit fadeable there. Um, let's go see what the what fading the Dodgers does instead, right? Let's go ahead here and then check and see. You know, can we get away with fading the Dodgers? In this case, we're at the 100th, 100, 111th. 113th, very similar impact to our pool, right? To fade uh, the Dodgers here, right? As a stack at the very least, right? What if we did both? Let's see, is that even possible? Let's kind of test. Let's see like how aggressive can we get, right? In this case, now all of a sudden we're at the 371, 367, 353 to, to play three lineups. I actually think, you know, to based on the way that I'm kind of like looking at this, I think they're, they're both, I think these are fadeable, players, right? Um, I don't think I necessarily want to like go all in on doing both. But if we're talking about, you know, this is a pool of 500 lineups that's optimized for these contests here. Um, and we're talking about playing these into single entries that have 3000 lineups in them. And this is like, the, you know, in theory, maybe the best 500 we could build. I, I think they might be a little bit overrated, right? I think it might be a little bit easy to get off. Um, of those particular teams. So that's kind of one way I'll look at this. Another thing I'll do, another way I'll actually do this is I'll just hide the exposures completely and I'll bring this down to one lineup. And I will kind of just eyeball test here and just start looking through my pool like this and just look for lineups that kind of look intriguing for one reason or another. And, and one of the main reasons why a lineup might look intriguing to me is if, if its ownership sum is quite a bit lower than others in its range, right? So we're seeing kind of a general trend. A ton of these lineups are all around 200 or so percent ownership. Um, but let's see if we can go find one here that is maybe a little bit lower, right? Um, here's one, right? might add this lineup to our pool. So I'll click the lock button here and just add this to the pool real quick, right? This is an interesting lineup. I think part of what's interesting here, again, we don't need to fade all the chalk, but what's interesting about this lineup is it's an Otani stack. It's a Dodger stack, but we get really different by playing Zach Thompson here at pitcher, right? Kind of an intriguing, uh, different way to build this lineup here. Um, and I might just start adding in some of these lineups that kind of look interesting to me here. Um, for one reason or another, right? And it doesn't just have to be ownership sum, right? Maybe it's a different construction that you think is unique. Maybe there's a particular player that sticks out uh, for, for one reason or another, right? Um, but, and then you can come over here and once you have your final lineups, you know, you can either, you know, stick with them. You can remove some, you can go back through and look a little bit more deep at it here. Um, the one thing I'll also call out too now is we have this edit lineup function here. So you can kind of tweak these lineups around, right? Maybe you love this first lineup, um, but uh, you want to just pivot 
off of Otani and play Zach Wheeler, who I can't play. I don't have enough salary. Um, God, Otani is so cheap. I can't believe he's 8-9. It makes sense why he's going to be so chalky. Um, maybe you want to pivot off this and you play Jamison Talon, right, instead. Um, and you think that's enough way, that's enough leverage on this particular lineup here to get a little bit different where you basically play the chalk elsewhere, uh, but you're fading Otani here. And now you can play this lineup. So, um, again, I guess that's kind of the, the main, the like checklist, I guess, for playing single entries and three maxes here um, that I would say is build build yourself a pool of lineups built optimized for the settings that you're going to use in that contest. And that way you can feel confident that any lineups in your pool are viable. And then look for ways to take maybe one or two stands against the chalky construction, right? Test that pool of lineups and see like what happens, how far down do I have to go um, to play something different here, right? Like what what happens if I fade the the super chalk, right? Is it, um, am I, can I even do it, right? Can I, do I even have lineups in my pool that will let me do that? Um, what, what happens there when I'm playing super chalk? Uh, and then I think kind of the third and final one is, you know, look through your pool and, and explore and pick out lineups that pass the eye test for you. Um, honestly, I was pretty surprised personally here uh, that um, here something I missed this up here. Whoops. I make I messed this up. I, I accidentally removed Otani while I had Otani lineups locked into my pool. So um Whatever, we'll let that one go. I was gonna say for me personally, I was surprised to see that we can fade Otani uh and Dodger stacks and still have lineups that are in the top like 300 or whatever it was. I think that's actually a pretty interesting angle on tonight's slate. It's an eight-game slate, right? And it's not like some of these other pitchers are bad pitchers, right? I I don't know. I kind of think that's an interesting angle, right? It's an aggressive angle, uh, but you play to win. Um, and I think fading, I think that's probably what I would do if if it was like Locke was right now and I was playing three lineups. So um, Rogue asks a good follow-up question here. Once you make your decision on stands, fades, et cetera, would you recommend going back to step one and applying those changes to get a more optimal pool? Um, you know, for the smaller field, single entry and three max stuff, I, I probably wouldn't just because at the end of the day, you only need a handful of lineups, right? Uh, you could. I don't think there's anything wrong with that necessarily. I just don't know if it's a necessary step. Um, just because, you know, in that case, so those three lineups I ended up with were lineup like what, 350, 356, and 359 of the pool, right? I mean, there's still, I mean, we're not even at the end of the pool at that point. I would say maybe one thing you could do is if you find that your your stances on the smaller field stuff is taking you to the very end of the pool, then maybe you should go back, apply those to the home screen and rebuild because then, then you like you've, I guess, let me put this another way. I don't even feel like we exhausted the original pool. So I don't think we necessarily need to build a new one. Um, but if you are, then maybe you, then maybe you should. So, um, all right. Um, Ryan said, uh, thoughts on the edge in five mans, winner take all is also advantage of playing small field GPP satellite lineups versus cash lineups in that type of contest. Um, yeah, so I, th I think there is an edge. I actually think, uh, if you, if you listen to other DFS podcasts, I don't know how long this ledge edge is going to last, to be honest, uh, because I've, people are talking about this a ton, um, pretty, pretty popular recently, but I think people have suddenly become kind of aware uh, or at least more vocal about how inefficient it is to play just like a stone cash optimal in those contests and how many people do it, right? Uh, really, like what happens here is if anybody is duplicated in these contests, um, 
or very highly correlated with other lineups in a contest, like a five-man winner-take-all, your EV, assuming that you are not, shoots through the roof because you're basically all of a sudden, like, let's say, for example, uh, you play a five-man and four, all four of the other people in that contest play a very, very similar lineup, right? You are essentially playing almost a double up at that point where you're basically just need to beat one, not one lineup, but one kind of lineup core, but you're getting paid five to one to do it. So there's a huge edge there. So I would say, yes, I I, I think there's an edge. Um, I, I think it's, um, it's a little bit of, it, it's a kind of a, I would say it's almost like a different edge than a lot of times what I talk about on this stream. Like I talk about edges that are unique to, like the theory of the sport. And this is a very much a DFS type edge that kind of exists because of the way that like people are playing it, I guess. Um, and it's only going to last, I guess, let me put it another way. It's probably unlikely that the field could adjust to baseball DFS in such a way that correlation became not a good way to play, right? Like players just are correlated um, unless it was, unless there was so much unless there were so many lineups built up a very precise stacking type, maybe you start fading that stacking type a little bit more, but it's not as if the correlation goes away. If, if too many people become aware of this, they will, people will just stop doing it. Right. Um, but for now, basically, I think there is definitely an edge. I think, uh, yeah, thinking about it as a small field GPP is, is, is a good approach. I think that's going to put you on the right track. Um, for sure. I would say, you know, kind of just another thing you can do is just, study what are going to likely be the cash game constructions, right? We just did it for this slate here tonight. It's going to be Otani plus uh, basically Taylor or Wood uh, and then five Dodgers and then basically like a pick em of the other players. I would stress test that and see how, how many points do you have to sacrifice to get as far away from that particular construction as possible, right? Like what is, you know, here might be actually a decent example. Let's see. So if you're playing cash game lineups, let's build 20 lineups, but let's set five uniques here and just see what happens. And basically the idea here is like, how, how different can we make our lineup from what is going to be the cash game optimal while sacrificing as few points as possible and counting on the fact that, you know, if one or two or three, even people in that contest all play a very similar, highly correlated lineup, you get to play a you get to play a double up um, basically for five to one odds. Um, so for example, right, this, you know, something resembling this is kind of the, the, the optimal here, right? Let's actually sort by projected score. Okay. So if this is kind of the optimal or, or very close to it, right? How, how different can we get here um, by sacrificing very little fantasy points, right? Um, are these actually five uniques apart? I guess they are. Um, so I would, I would basically experiment with that. So, um, but yeah, Blender's been talking about this a lot on theory of DFS as well. So, um, okay. We're almost through, um, okay. Um, we're almost through the Slack questions here. Here's a question from Robert. Um, and, uh, he said, Whoops. Uh, how much do I uh, adjust my minimum exposure for a team? Um, it's up to you, really. Um, your entire, I would say, when you're building your lineups here, right? So let's build for a, whoa, 
You do not need that many minimum uniques. Let's build like a 20 max kind of lineup here, right? Um, let's, let's go take a look. Um, this is kind of really going to be a question of like your personal risk tolerance, right? You can adjust your minimum exposure to 100% for a team if you want to be all in. That's a really risky stance. Um, you could adjust your minimum exposure, you know, uh, well, let's let this build here. I'll talk about a couple tools or a couple like things that you can kind of look at here as a tool of how much exposure you should get. So. Give this just a second to build here. And one of the tools I'm going to mention here is actually brand new. So, okay. So let's adjust to projections here real quick. So we can see our lineups and let's head over the stack thing, right? Okay. So you're looking at this here, right? And maybe you've got a particular team that you want to target for one reason or another, right? Um, well, I think one thing that you can do here is kind of get an idea of what is the projected ownership for hitters on that team, and then kind of figure out how much exposure should you be getting to that team, right? So let's say, um, you know, let's see, let's say that we want to play some Astro stacks, right? I like always like playing Astros, right? And we're not really getting a lot of them here at all. So one thing that you could do here is kind of look, look at your Houston bat batters, right? And just look at like, what is the projected ownership for Houston, right? They're all around five or 10%, right? Well, we want to get over the field on Houston, right? We want our average lineups to do better more than the field's average lineups do when Houston does well, because we want to, we want to get paid when we're right, right? So one thing we could do here is basically say, okay, well, if the field is going to roster all the Houston bats at around like, um, you know, I don't know, let's say, what is it? What did I just say? 5%? Maybe we wanted to get like 15% Houston stacks, right? So we come in here and we hit 15%. And now we have three lineups that have Houston stacks in them, right? Um, another thing you can do here is use this stack pool exposure to get an idea of how many lineups are in your pool here that have certain stacks, right? The more lineups that are in your pool, the more viable that stack probably is for a particular contest. So you can actually see here, there were only five lineups in our entire pool of 500 here that even had Houston in them. So by picking three of them out and putting them in our pools of 20, right, we're actually like picking from a pretty small set of lineups. So maybe we abandon Houston in that particular sense. And we come down here and instead and say, okay, you know what? Like we want to get to, you know, maybe some Yankee stacks is actually kind of an interesting angle here tonight where um, actually, no, they are going to be pretty chalky. Let's do the Phillies, right? I haven't heard a lot of people talking about the Phillies. I know Dodgers chalky, Rockies probably chalky, uh, Yankees and Blue Jays probably chalky. I feel like maybe Phillies get a little bit left out. We can see here. There's a lot of lineups in the pool that are Philly stacks, right? 21% of our entire pool of 500 all have Philly stacks. So we could come in here and, and, you know, probably feel pretty comfortable even like if we wanted to really take a big stand here and get 50% Phillies, right? Because we know that that pool is really flexible. It has a lot of, of good Philly stacks in there, right? So we could do that as well. I would say use some combination of checking to see how owned our player is going to be, right? How popular is the team going to be? How much, how much leverage do I need to get by getting over the field on a player and checking also how, how many lineups in your pool have a certain stack in them. And then combine that with your own personal risk tolerance, right? Uh, you could, you could all have also just said, I want hundred percent Phillies here, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But in that case, like if the Phillies are not the play, then you lose. Are you okay with that? Like how many, how many lineups are UK committing to the Phillies, right? That's kind of the way I would think about it. So 
Um, Ed said, don't use VLOOKUPs anymore. Use the XLOOKUPs. That's what I was referring to. I know those are a thing. I haven't, I haven't really looked at them yet. Um, but I, uh, I, I mentioned when I was talking about that, that I knew that there were new functions out there. Um, and that is what they were called. I just forgotten. So thank you. I will have to check, check on that. I don't know if they're going to beat index match, but maybe they do. Um, okay. This is a question. This came in from support. Um, and actually this was, um, interesting question. So a part of this release we did this week here, uh, we, we removed the functionality to build more lineups from a build, right? So before, you know, let's say, let's go back to our Houston example here and say, we want, um, 20, we want to max out on Houston, right? Um, in the old version of the app, you would get this message saying, unable to meet exposures, build more lineups, right? And then what would happen is if you clicked build more lineups, we would build more, we would build more lineups, but we would build them in a way that specifically tried to match your exposures, right? What we do now here is we say you're unable to meet exposures, send those exposures back to the home screen, and then start with a fresh build. Uh, and um, this this uh, user here, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. I know it was in the email said, um, what's the advantage of this, of sending your exposures back to the home screen and restarting the build process uh, rather than continuing to expand your lineup pool as you go through your process? Are there any downsides to the process I listed? And I know in the, and in the actual email that was sent, um, it sounds like basically like what was done here um, was, you know, you'd edit a little exposures, build some more lineups, edit exposures, build some more lineups, edit a little exposures, build some more lineups. Um, the advantage of doing it this way, uh, really, is that we are going to build the entire pool of lineups with basically kind of your, your all of your required exposures all at once. Right. The problem with what you were doing in the past here uh, or what we were doing is that we were building just such a small pool of lineups that was so targeted at the missing exposures that you started to lose the value of the actual sims for those lineups. Right, You were basically brute forcing certain lineups to get built based on whatever the, the limiting exposure was there in that particular case, rather than building a more natural pool of lineups that kind of lie within all of the given exposure requests. So I would say the, the other factor is that this is going to be a lot faster, right? Instead of like make a change, build lineups, make a change, build lineups, make a change, build lineups. You're going to have now a much faster result where you basically take, you can take all of your exposures at once and build a big pool of lineups that matches all of them. And you only have to do it one time. Um, so that was basically, you know, when we, we don't take removing a feature or anything from the app lightly. Um, and we will only do so really when we feel like, we were, we were getting to a point where we would, and, and myself included, would basically never recommend somebody actually use the build more lineups button, right? If, if you ever watched this show, right? Uh, when people asked, hey, why am I getting that message saying I need to build more lineups? Instead of saying, just click build more lineups, I was saying, go back to, go back to the projections tab and make changes and then rebuild, right? And we realized, you know, if that's the case, if that's actually what the best thing is for the for you to do in that particular situation, that's just what the app should tell you to do. And that's kind of why we made this change. Um, I also, it, it, I kind of got the sense in this email here that uh, the goal of this was less about um, actually matching exposures and more about building as many lineups as possible. Um, that 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 was a little bit of an app loophole that you could kind of just you could eventually arrive at a massive pool of lineups if you kind of just like tricked the builder to keep trying to fit different exposures. Um, we 
are actually we know that we know that that existed and we know that that's something that people used uh we are planning on um in the somewhat nearish future uh adding on an ability um to build larger pools to um for those that want it um it will probably end up coming in the form of an actual add-on a membership add-on as opposed to um, just a new feature, uh, but that is in the pipeline for us as well. Um, so it, I, I, I got the sense in this email that that maybe it was more about getting to thousands of lineups and not about me- matching exposures. Um, I apologize that 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 loophole is is closed for now, um, but it will be it will be offered again in a better form, in a more fully fledged feature form. Wow, that was that was some pretty cool alliteration there. Um, in the near future, so um, anyway, hopefully that helps uh, because I, I do want I, the 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 point still stands. I, I do want to make it clear that this you will get better lineups with this new with this new flow. Uh, the the old flow w- was most likely giving you worse overall lineups. Um, so good question there. Let's keep it rolling here. Um, think over to YouTube chat here. Um, yes, yes, indeed. Over to YouTube chat. My my patient YouTube crew, thank you uh, for waiting here. Um, Rogue said, hey, Jordan, can you maybe go over some examples where it's smart to take a stand and where it's uh, when to spread out your risk in lowering exposures for 20 max contests? Um, yeah. So we have this build here. Let's see. Okay. Yes. Um, so th- this is kind of a hard question to answer. I, so I would say this. So kind of similar to the, the the question that we just talked about, right? I think you can use, I think you can use the the ownership projections and your your the size of your pool overall here. here I'm going to close some of these columns because I don't need all of this here. Let's get rid of this. Um, and let's put this over here, right? To kind of see how flexible things are to different changes, right? Like if you just decide to just fade the Dodgers, right? That's sixty percent of your lineups that are that are gone, right? Like that. Maybe okay, right? But that's a that's that's sixty percent. And if you start also fading, you know, Otani in that case, like maybe it's difficult to take a stand on both of those particular players. Now, what would be more flexible here? What would be kind of more what the pool would be a little bit more receptive to, at least with default settings here, would be instead saying that maybe you want to at most match the field on these, right? So maybe you're playing at most 65% Otani and you're not going to get over the field on Dodger stacks. Dodger stacks might be 30, 25-30% owned, right? Um, and I think that's kind of a good idea in, in terms of thinking about like how to take a stand and how big of a stand that you should take relative to the size of your pool. If you're looking more for like like where, like where should you take your stands? Like how do you become opinionated on what teams to take stands against and what players to take stands against? That's when I start using my research build, right? That's that's kind of why I started doing this in the first place is I, I was thinking, you know, how can I become opinionated about the slate, right? How can I not, instead of just picking a team out of the out of the hat and saying I'm going to fade this team how can I do that in a way that's systematic right and that's how I ended up with these research builds right so I run these research builds the goal being comparing the the optimal rate of a player how often they end up in the true optimal lineup versus the ownership projection and look for inefficiencies there and I'm gonna just hazard a guess here that Otani and uh the Dodgers look a little bit overowned tonight given the way that they are projected um 
So I think it's a fair, I think it's a fair point from the previous build, but if you want to, if you don't have that sense of intuition for yourself, right, I think running this build can help give you some, uh, give you a sense of be, being opinionated about the slate, right? And then using the ownership projections and and what's actually in your full pool as a way to say, you know, what is the appropriate size of a stand to make here, right? Is a, is a good step. Um, so like, let's run this research build and uh, and see, right? So one thing we need to do is make sure we're looking at the full 1500. Okay, so yeah, I mean, according just purely to optimal rates, Otani looks like he's about 25% over-owned. Now, he is the most likely to be optimal pitcher in the pool by far, double the next overall pitcher, right? So that's another, this is another number you can use, right? Do you want to... Do you like maybe you can basically get under the field on Otani and match his optimal rate pretty effectively, right? So maybe you cap it around 40%, right? Um, let's look at the the Dodgers on the other hand, right? So the Dodgers, especially some of these top bats, look fifth, 10 to 15% overowned here, right? Um but like all things considered, they're actually, I, I would say this isn't like egregious ownership here. Um, so maybe a creative way to get under the field or get some leverage on the Dodgers is to just make sure that you're careful with your Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, and Will Smith exposure. And when you get to Dodgers stacks, you're playing different combinations of Freddie Freeman, Jake Lamb, uh, Max Muncie, you know, Gavin Lux, these kind of guys, right? That's So I think in terms of, you know, two different sides of the, the coin here. First of all, how do you become opinionated about a slate? There's, well, there's a lot of different ways. There's plenty of different ways to research a slate. But one way that I would recommend within the SaberSim infrastructure would be running the research build, right? Get an idea of how often are these guys showing up in the optimal lineups. Then from there, how do you think about adjusting your exposures to actually take stands here? Well, consider the different tools at your disposal, the projected ownership of a the player. Their optimal rate is a really good one. And how many lineups in your pool have those players in them? And then, then you can kind of figure out what the appropriate size of a stance is. Um, there. So, um, and then, okay. Follow up was guess like, how do you handle a fade in your head? But the initial build gives you a hundred percent of that player puts me in a pickle. And I feel like I've made the wrong uh, choice a lot lately. Yeah. I mean, I think knowing how big that pool is will help a lot, right? Like, um, so, um, let's see. Um, so like, let's go back to this build, right? So we did our research build and from my perspective, the research build indicated to me that I probably am going to take a stance on Dodgers and Otani. And then sure enough, you run this and you get a hundred percent Trey Turner and a hundred percent Otani, right? Like, okay, well, what gives, right? I mean, you got to remember you're, you're only, you're only seeing a subset of 20 lineups of your pool. And the, the subset is the highest Saber score lineups, the lineup that Saberson believes to be the best, but by no means are they the only way to play. Right. And I mean, I think these numbers can kind of help categorize this for you, right? Like just looking at this, just looking purely at the pool size, right? I'm probably more willing to fade Dodgers than Otani now here, combining all the information together. Right, because Otani's pure optimal rate was higher than the Dodgers, and there's more. Ota we have to sacrifice more lineups from our pool just to get off of him. Right, so there's not a one size fits all answer to these, right? Because every slate plays a little bit different, right? But I, I think you can kind of 
these should all be really just tools in your toolbox of thinking about how you actually want to end up taking a stance on a slate. And this is a weird one, right? This is going to be a weird, a weird slate tonight. Um, so, um, but you know, maybe again, maybe one creative way to, to get different here, um, is to just take stances on those top three, like super chalk, um, Dodgers, right? It was Mookie, it was Trey and it was Will Smith. And then we just let ourselves play some of those Otani lineups, right? And you can see, I mean, see the, look at the impact this has on your lineups, right? I mean, these are clearly a more contrarian approach to the slate than we were just looking at a second ago, right? So he said, research builds on my crux. I feel like I rely on those optimal rates too much. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 possible. I mean, I think the, the one thing to just remember is like, just because you've identified that Otani is going to be optimal 40% of the time and he's going to be in the in in the owned 65% of the time, right? Like you, if you're going to fade him, that's great, but you still got to get the other two guys right, right? Like the probability is probably on your in your favor there in that particular case because virtually any other pitcher is going to have a greater probability of being in the optimal than their ownership projection would indicate just, just because of how much like negative leverage Otani's soaking up here, but you're still, you still have to get the other two guys, right? Like it is still a somewhat risky stance. Like any given pitcher is still less likely to be optimal than Otani. And that's important to remember here. So, um, but okay. Um, let's keep it going here. Uh, Okay, uh, Stadia said, is getting a five uh, popular five-man stack and three one-offs a way to be contrarian in a GPP? I think it depends a lot on who those stacks, who those players are, as opposed to the construction. Um, I think there was a period of time where five, like basically five one-one-one stacks were pretty unpopular um, and just purely based on the construction alone, it was a way to get contrarian. But now I think it depends a lot on your the rest of your lineup, right? Like playing a, playing a five-man Dodger stack tonight plus Schwarber and uh, I don't know. I know the salaries won't always work out, but like Schwarber judge and Jordan Alvarez. Well, that's probably going to be pretty chalky. That probably won't be very contrarian. Right. Um, but, you know, playing basically any other stack five man stack besides the Dodgers tonight is probably going to make you somewhat contrarian just to begin with. So um, I, I, I would say I, I'd be, I'd probably be a little bit more focused on which team and which, which one-offs you end up with in that case, than the construction alone here uh, for me, I think you're going to find, you can get a little bit more leverage on the field by um, actually taking a stance on, on what team you select for rather than just this, this like stack type or lineup construction. Um, so. Um, Eric said, uh, question, what does the 10 zero zero build do? I assume you're talking about a, um, a zero zero 10, the, t uh, just, just in case you're not a 10 zero zero build would basically build lineups with the average projections, uh, but with a ton of correlation, right? You'd probably get like the most highly correlated, the biggest stacks possible using pure average projections. Um, apart from just a curiosity or a novelty, I probably wouldn't ever actually like use this. I don't know what I would use it for. Uh, a zero zero 10 build essentially simulates the slate is actually, I think probably the simplest way of looking at it. I've defined this build 
uh, you know, a dozen different ways here, but I think that's probably the simplest explanation, right? We're turning correlation off, we're turning ownership fade off, and we're just going to select a single game sim for every game on the slate every time we build the lineup, every time we build a lineup. And every lineup will basically be the optimal lineup that you could have built for that single slate simulation of the way that the slate could have played out, right? That's basically what it does. So in this case, we'd get 1,500 of those. Um, and the reason I like to use them is because then you get a number that quantifies how likely a player is to show up in the optimal lineup, which I think can be useful, right? How much Mookie Betts do I want tonight? Well, he's the most likely player to end up in the optimal lineup for a hitter, but it only happens 15% of the time and he's going to be in 30% of the lineups in the pool, right? I might take my chances on other outfielders kind of thing. So. Rogue said that last statement was a light bulb. Holy shit. What, what was it? <laughs> now I'm curious. What did I say? It's helpful for me to know because, and, and, and here's another thing, right? This is an important point to make, right? There, everybody is going to have their own individual skill set when it comes to DFS and not even skill set, but also just way of thinking about the game. And it, there's some level that research builds are intuitive to me. Like I, I, I started doing them and I mean, I, when I arrived at doing them, it was a way that just kind of naturally resonated with the way that I think about DFS. And I've, as I've done more and more of these streams, I've gotten a better sense and a better idea of how to kind of communicate what they are and how they work and what they do to other people. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make sense for everybody all the time, right? And, you know, I, I, I imagine there's probably even people that watch this stream that just like, just patently disagree with this, the philosophy behind the research field. And that's, that's probably okay as well. I, I, I think it's important to remember that like, there are different ways to get an edge. There are different ways to build out your unique process. Uh, and this is a tool that I would like to offer out there as a way for people to get, to get um, a sense uh, of how to approach a slate. Right. Um, so uh, Rogue said, uh, the optimal argument in balancing the pitcher points, that is Otani plus X pitcher is only one out of three correct choices. Yeah. And like, so when I use a research build, like a lot of times, I, I think it's important to remember that balancing act, right? It, uh, of, of all of these different factors that a player can still be, there are times where I think that a player is, is very over-owned. And I will still be even with the field or potentially even over the field on that player, depending on how well that player is projected, right? Like tonight could be one of those slates where I look at a guy like Otani and I'm like, man, you know, he has 25% overexposure in that research build, but because he is 9K and five points higher projected than the next best pitcher who is 12K, like you, you might just need to play a lot of him, right? Um, so... But that doesn't mean that's necessarily right. That just that just might be like where I end up, and I and I think like it's just important to keep in mind all of the different numbers that are coming out of the research build, the probability, the optimal rate, essentially, but also the ownership um, and all those things together. So, okay. Um, Ryan says, thanks for answering. seems like a big edge for the early slate. I was the only one with Aguilar in my lineup, but his upside was very close to every other hitter on the slate. Yeah, I I think it, I think when you can pull it off right? It, it can be a 
pretty huge edge, um, to be completely honest with this. So, um, I, I, it's interesting. It's interesting. Um, so yeah, it, it, what's weird about it is like, I think the players that are most likely to play very similar or highly correlated lineups to each other in those contests are the like super sharks, like whales, like people playing a ton of volume, um, because they're not paying attention to every individual contest. Whereas the the players that could actually throw a little bit of a wrench into that are like the more casual player who doesn't maybe even know how to build as very good of a cash lineup because they're going to basically kind of walk backwards into the optimal strategy by playing a kind of off the wall lineup. Um, so it's it's interesting, but yes, yes, yes. Okay, cool. Uh, we will cap it off there. I don't see any other questions here coming in. Um, so another great stream today. I appreciate everybody coming in, hanging out, uh, asking questions. Um, enjoy the slate tonight. Probably one of the stranger baseball slates we've had in a while. Um, it just like, just massive chalk tonight, right? I mean, just like I had a ridiculous ownership projections on some of these guys. I actually think the Dodgers are probably going to be higher, uh, than this, um, which is weird to say, but I, I think that's actually true. I also think the Dodgers and Otani are going to be paired together uh, so much um, because of the way that those salaries make out, right? Like the Dodgers are pretty expensive and Otani is not only the best projected pitcher on the slate, but he is also probably the best value pitcher on the slate, right? I would be willing to bet. Yes. So he is the best overall projected pitcher and the best value, right? You almost have to, to get to cheap dot or to get to the expensive Dodgers. You strangely have to play Otani. Um, so I think a uh, common combination there tonight for sure. Interested to see how it wake, shakes out. I would not be surprised if uh, we all take our stances uh, and, you know, put our contrarian hats on here. And then the Dodgers score 14 runs and Otani throws seven innings with 12 strikeouts and, uh, we all close the laptop early, but um, we'll see what happens. So anyway, enjoy this late tonight. I will be right back here again for tomorrow's final stream of the week at two o'clock Eastern. Uh, take care. Good luck and see you later.